you know, you open a project uh, from a year ago. And oh, <laughs> your phone's going off, Chris. Oh, hello. <clears throat> See who this is. Hello, Chris speaking. Oh, what's this? Here we go. If a federal election were held today, which of the following would receive your first preference vote? Oh, here we go, Chris. The Greens, press one. The Greens, press one. The Liberal Party, press two. The Labor Party, press three. Another party or candidate, press four. Well, where's the Pirate Party, party yeah, Where's Donald Five. Trump? Sex Party? Sex Party four. Sex Party four. Oh, fuck this. We're doing a podcast. <laughs> All right, back to the podcast. Welcome to the Purple Fringe. This is episode 10, Chris. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. I'm just going to reposition your mic so you don't pop as much. All right, oh, sorry about that. Too. We're popping We're all popping around. all over the place. <laughs> just oh, elves. It's a boy. And your beer is popping right now. You better scull. Uh, this is uh, the Purple Fringe, the show where we talk about the high end of low end digital media production. And uh, the levels are a bit high end of low end at the moment, so that's we're just going to bring them down. Got them sorted. A bit better. Now it's episode ten, Chris. It's a big number, episode ten. So in lieu of episode ten, you went out and bought yourself a present. I did. I went out and bought an, uh, a Sony FS5. Very nice. It's sitting across from us now. Yes. It's smaller than Looking I expected cute. it would be. It's a lovely little camera. We'll, we'll chat about that a little bit later on. But um, before we get to that, we've got some news to get through, Chris. I was having this conversation today, actually, at a, uh, a relatively high-end um, editing facility, um, that there is a massive crossover at the moment between you know what people are using and the tools. And um, mm. you know tools that are accessible to people at the high-end are also available to people at the lower-end now. I think things like DaVinci and things. And yep. technologies like QuickTime is the backbone of almost everything in a lot of cases. Yep. And John, what piece of news have you got? Well, you might remember a few weeks ago, Chris, we chatted about the fact that there'd been a security vulnerability discovered with the QuickTime 7 player on the Windows platform. Now, of course, on Mac, uh, we've moved away from that, but on Windows, version 7 was still the latest version. And Apple had neglected it for, for quite some time, and there was a security vulnerability discovered in the player, which has meant that people with that uh, player installed are possibly open to all sorts of security risks. Now, let's get it thing. here. It's the QuickTime player, not necessarily the codecs and things like that. It's just yeah. the player. But um, obviously, by default, they all sort of come in the package. So if you are installing um, the QuickTime uh, package, which you probably are if you're running Premiere or Edius or many of the other video editing packages. Basically, anything that uses even like uh, things like After Effects or... yeah. You, know, you might be opening heaps. yourself up to p potential security risks. So, anyway, this was an acknowledged problem several weeks back, and Apple's officially discontinued it on the Windows platform, which has left a lot of people high and dry, people like Adobe. So, they've come out uh, in the last couple of days on their official blog and sort of talked about this issue and, and what they're going to do, because basically, at the moment, you, you can't run Premiere without... Quick time, so they've got to come up with a solution because they can't be recommending that people install something that's going to open up security vulnerabilities in order to use their software. Especially because Adobe, uh, you know, selling to a lot of government departments and things like that, and and you know, and Adobe have got enough bugs as it is. So, um, <laughs> and uh, security look, problems. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> anyway, sorry, um, but look, they've been working with Apple, which is good. It's it's nice to actually hear that the two companies have been working together. It hasn't just been Adobe left high and dry by Apple, and Apple are a bit notorious for doing that sort of thing on occasion. Um, look, I think with Apple, their pro team are actually really into all this stuff, but sometimes they're sort of stuck behind a, a big wall that is the... Uh, consumerism. The, yeah, the consumer, consumerism and the, the secret um, sort of style that Apple has. So anyway, look, they have been working together and they've been able to come up with a, a little bit of a solution. So what what's going to happen is Premiere or Adobe is going to build in some of these codecs that are very popular uh, so they are native into the foundation of Premiere. So some. Some. Not all. Some. The more popular ones. So the big one, of course, is um, one of the, the more popular codecs in the industry, which is ProRes. And it's interesting that this is now fully certified and licensed from Apple. So it's a, 
uh, a proper version of ProRes, which is important because in the workflows of many things, especially with commercial television, it does need to be proper certified ProRes. It can't just be some hack, and there are many hacks out there. Um, this will be properly licensed certified ProRes from Apple. And this is good as well because some programs traditionally, as they imported through QuickTime, would occasionally have colour shift issues and problems with ProRes and, and QuickTime like delivering something that wasn't necessarily you know what you expected. And I think it was limited to 8-bit at one point as well. So I, th- I don't know. I think they did cut it, get around that towards the end. But I know for a fact that people are quite excited about having ProRes as a native, you know, raw plugged into your um, computer because a lot of cameras shoot it. I mean, yeah. You still can't export it. Uh, properly or cert- certifiably through Premiere. So this is just for reading. Uh, so that will be clear on that. But look, that's, that's a good step. It's also going to support some of the audio codecs, AAC, um, ping compressed formats, and also the good old animation format, which um, not used so much for video, but a lot of animation and um, mm. stuff like that will use the animation codec. So that will work. There are some older codecs, and for those... They basically said, look, you're going to have to transcode them, essentially. So motion JPEG codec, I know that that was a massive one used with a lot of cameras. Yeah, and now that you mentioned that, Chris, I'm just thinking of the new um, 1DX Mark II. It uses motion JPEG for its 4K, so I'm not sure what the status of that will be. Um, but, yeah, you're going to have to do some transcoding if you're working with formats that aren't as popular. But look, it's it's good that they've finally got around to addressing the issue and they're moving forward. Mm. Yeah, what a what a mission! Hey, QuickTime changes one thing, and then uh, you know you can't live without it. You can't even install Adobe Premiere without QuickTime installed. Mm. Or or Edius. Or um, use, there's a couple of other ones as well that yeah, you can't. install. Lots of things require QuickTime. So and install it as you install the program. Yeah. So. But uh, you know, I, I, as far as I'm concerned, as long as you don't open the player, and you can you can make the player so that it doesn't work, you can you can you can, I've corrupted yeah. the uh, exe deliberately on mine so the header won't work, and it doesn't complain. It just and I've also killed the updater as well, so the updater doesn't work, yeah. and it's great because I've got QuickTime infrastructure as a codec. This is what, and, and I use it as that, and it's fantastic. And I know the player is never going to fire up and try to do anything because it can't run, and it's never going to try to take over my computer or do anything or try to get its files back because I've I've killed it enough that it won't work. Mm. Um, because yeah, there's nothing worse than you know having programs fight for file types and things like that. As we record this, WWDC, the Worldwide Developers Conference, which is Apple's. Um, obviously develop a conference it's their professional conference which happens once a year that's two weeks away as we record this show and look i'll be very interested to see what they sort of announce at that show because lots of things in apple's professional infrastructure have sort of been neglected recently the mac pro was last uh, updated in December of 2013, and they announced it at 2013's WWDC. So it's been a couple of years since they've touched that product, which is a professional product. Final Cut 10 has had quite a few updates, but it's been a while since the last one. So I'm curious as to if they're going to announce anything that is a bit more professionally focused at Mm. WWDC. It's a programmer sort of thing, but they often release hardware and also underlying infrastructure which gives a clue as to where they're going with software so it'd be interesting to see what comes out in a couple of weeks ux serve <laughs> I, I doubt that very much <laughs> sorry for those of you uh, not in the joke on that x yeah. was a uh, uh networking system that, it was uh, a, it was a server it was a rack mounted server it was actually a very sexy beast it was an amazing piece of tech but it Beautiful. just didn't sell no. Because um, uh, so interestingly, all of the, the IT people started catching on to it, I think, after it was sort of already on its road to discontinuing. Well, look, the companies that make third-party stuff um, have a similar form factor, and Apple actually recommends some third-party uh, products now. But uh, that was that was at the Shake stages, I think. That was back when they, had, they bought out Shake and then killed it, which pissed off a lot of people in special effects. And they had this server infrastructure, which they, they had a crack at. And then they themselves have moved to Azura with Microsoft and a lot of Linux solutions as well for the the iCloud backend. So even they don't use their own uh, server infrastructure at this stage. Mm. So look, it, it, yeah, look, as a Mac user, as an Apple user, it pisses me off that they tend to neglect uh, some of the higher end stuff. And not even that they neglect it. It's just that they don't give a public roadmap because they're so secretive about things like the iPhone. It translates into being secretive about things like Final Cut, which 
we can need be frustrating. To know. Yeah, if you're we building your to, business on it. Yeah, we needed to know when they. Well, I didn't because I wasn't using it, but a lot of people needed to know who are on Final Cut Pro yeah. that when they went to X, they were going to lose support for all their professional output cards. That they were mm. going to lose support for a whole load of formats. That they were going to lose support for the ability to even import a project from an old version of Final Cut Pro. Like yep. these are big, things. massive things. Anyway, <laughs> Sony sells Vegas to Magics. Yeah. Yeah. So um, okay, this, this is, is this is a big piece of news. So Sony Vegas, what a piece of software! It's actually um, a, a fantastic editing program, especially if you're trying to do tightly timed stuff. Any of you out there who've ever tried to do timing to music, where you know your beats are playing but they're not synchronized to the frames because obviously they're going to drift left and right. Having subframe accuracy, where you can paste something and it doesn't necessarily have to be that right frame, it'll snap it. Uh, it's something Vegas does really well. It's great for just chucking video around and timing you can have as many tracks as you want with video or audio or whatever you want on a track it doesn't really care what goes on the track mm. um and it's just a real drag and drop and throw things about kind of uh palette that's great to work on um in a, in a way that no other editor seems to work it has a very loyal following uh the people who use it swear by it and they i think they like it because it did have that root in the sound area and people have maybe uh, come from that that realm and have started integrating video into their workflow and this has been a natural fit and there's also people who have just come to it who are video people and just found it to be very powerful overall in terms of its uh, its functionality but it's been sold to magics which is a bit of a, a shock announcement chris i didn't really see this one coming i magics i don't have a, a heap of um experience with but i do remember back when i worked in retail they used to sell lots of boxed software at the time and the software was kind of cool it used to be stuff like i'll convert your videos for your ipod or you know do some basic sound editing it was this sort of software that was it wasn't low end but it definitely wasn't high end it was sort of this 80 dollar box software which was sort of aimed at people that were happy to pay a bit of money to do a certain thing um, in the AV realm. So, look, they were an interesting company and I thought, you know, maybe they'd gone away, they'd disappeared, but turns out that they're still around and uh, they're buying Vegas mm. and a few other products as well, things like Acid, which is quite a popular um, sound program, music. Well, well was. Lo- loops. I don't, I haven't I don't heard know if it is. For a long time, yeah, well, but... yeah, it was a, <laughs> a popular loops Soundforge. inspired. Soundforge was popular. Yeah, and there's Soundforge still a very loyal pop, uh, uh, following of Soundforge users out there. Yeah. Audio editor for basic wave editing. Yeah. It's been around forever. So this is an interesting announcement because they've taken it and said, we already plan new versions of Vegas Pro and Movie Studio this autumn, which will be American autumn. But that's. Yeah. It's come with a promise that they're going to get new versions. So that sounds like they've inherited the team as well. Yeah, well, a- they'd have to because otherwise you'd spend six months just trying to reverse engineer the code and have a look through it and see what's there. Magic sell a product called Video Pro X as well, which I'd never heard of until I, I had a look around. Have you heard mm. of that, Chris? No. No. So look, that's that's their um, not high-end video NLE, but um, it looks like it's not positioned for a consumer market. So, look, that's interesting to see they already have their own product that sort of sits in that space, which is not that different to where Vegas sat originally anyway. So, it would be interesting to see if those two merge. But, look, as Chris said, they have pro- uh, they have promised um, that there will be a new version in the not-too-distant future. So, hopefully for the fans of Vegas, they won't be uh, left high and dry. Mm, yeah, I've got a lot of time for Vegas. It's, um, you know, I try not to, to be too, um, uh, you know, stuck on one particular uh, editor outside of, I mean, obviously I've got my main one that I use, but uh, I, Vegas I've happily cut on. I cut a documentary and two music videos in Vegas and it was a good experience all around. Better than Premiere, I'd say, or on par with a sort of average Premiere sort of. It, it was very stable. It very rarely crashed. Which was the it's good just more thing. Than can be said for Premiere. Yeah, Premiere is, is a great program. I suppose it's workflow and it's easy to use and it's straight to the point. Oh, it has but, gotten better. But it has. I think they're all getting better. Yeah, um, they definitely yeah, it's, are. It's pretty good. Hmm. The last year. Speaking of Adobe. <laughs> speaking of Adobe and constantly trying to get better, but yep. is it Sometimes really getting better? Not. Yeah. There is a new uh, sh- shock feature announcement. Mm. Which not sure is, if it's a shock. But well, <laughs> no. It, and it's basically, it, for those, everybody loves con- content-aware Phil. But not for the right reasons. Well, well <laughs> it depends on, on how lucky you're feeling. It's like yeah. the are you feeling lucky, lucky button yeah, Google, in Google. Yeah. Um, Content-fill-aware or content-aware Phil basically is where you select an area on the screen where you want it to just basically 
fill it. Like, let's say there's a bird in the sky and you go, well, I want the bird gone. You select a box around the bird and you go, replace the bird with the sky. And hopefully it looks at the clouds. In that instance, it would probably work. And that would, yeah, that's why I picked that as an example. But if you were to say, I don't know. I want uh, my ex-girlfriend from this photo removed. Yeah. um, And then it would probably like try to, uh, yeah. (laughs) Construct. Sample your grandmother. And- well, yeah, it depends who was in the background and what was happening and what else, but it definitely wouldn't be able to, well, majority of the time, replace the background. Yeah. Uh, even if it's a white, simple background, it still struggles to, um, to to see the logic in what it thinks is behind. So unless you've got, like, an object and surrounding it is exactly what it can almost, like, fold in and replace with. Mm. So that's content-aware fill in Photoshop, and anyone who's twiddled in Photoshop for enough time has probably figured that out. Yeah, so look, Adobe took this barely functioning technology and decided to apply it somewhere else, which was with the content-aware crop. So the content-aware crop is a feature where if you take a photo and crop it and then give it a bit of a rotation, so let's say the horizon was a little bit crooked and you wanted to just rotate that, and you didn't want to crop in too far on the image, you wanted to maintain uh, as wide a shot as possible, what you'd find is you'd end up with a, a little bit of white around the edges. Or These little triangles. That yeah, are the, the yeah. edges of the frame come into, come into focus. And when you cropped it, you'd end up with, with white edges. So this tool basically tries to fill in those edges, those white bits around the, the cropped frame with whatever was adjacent to it, I suppose. So it's basically well, and you can just use it for rotate as well. If yeah. you just rotate an image like on a on a background, and and you don't have any more image things, like because you're just trying to correct the horizon line, you know, you're a bit wonky when you shot it. It'll just fill the back the bits where yeah. it's black or white or whatever your background color is set to. Yeah. So it effectively gives you your image back. So uh, the example video shows this with sky and sand and also with rocks and water. So look, I'm not convinced it's going to be amazing yet. But hey, look, potentially it could find its uses. The, the one use I did think of is a lot of older photos were printed on, on paper that wasn't square. And when you scan it in, you end up with you know, little bits of white or you crop in. So look for old photos. I could actually see this being quite useful to sort of make them proper squares rather than having these weird aspect ratios and, and crop corners and all this sort of stuff. So there's a potential use case. How well it works for detailed scenes with faces or, um, or text or important imagery is yet to be seen. I use content aware a lot, I've got to admit, and sometimes it works really well. And sometimes um, it does. <laughs> and sometimes it does. The first time I ever got shown, somebody else showed me content where it was many moons ago when I was at, oh, name the word, okay, at Cricket Australia giving a um, uh, a tutorial on basically uh, video editing. Hey, I was and, there. Yeah, <laughs> at Cricket Australia. Yeah. Yeah. After bunch. Effects, remember? Oh, yes, of yeah. course. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, you were, yeah, I brought you in to teach yes, on that one did. too. Yeah. I remember now. Hang out so at the that's, for lunch. That yep. same class, uh, yep. I went and I sh- and we were doing some uh, some <clears throat> titles and some photo prep in Photoshop and uh, we were replacing the ball to make it more impressive and um, and I was there and I was like just grabbing the clone tool and explaining about using the clone tool and someone says, you know, you can just use like, you know, this, this one thing to do it and they're like, you know, just just highlight the ball with a circle and go content aware. And sure enough, the ball just disappeared and there was this perfect clone. Yeah. Turns out if it's over grass, it does it perfectly. Mm. Or sky. sky. Over an audience, though. Bow, bow. It doesn't know what's going on. It's putting bits of sign. There's just this weird clump of random what's going on in the middle of a blurry audience. Mm. So it's interesting. It does have some use cases where it works perfectly. And yep. yeah, if as long as the background is consistent background, often it'll work really well. All I want to know is that I can quickly undo it and yeah. do my own tweaks. I often thought it'd be nice to have a retry button for content aware. Try something different. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you look, know. Pluralize, the tool that you use for syncing sound with video, yeah. has a try harder tick box. So <laughs> I was always very impressed with that. I thought, this is an awesome feature. I want a try harder button everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it needs. And Adobe needs to try harder. Adobe Content Aware Phil, we should suggest it as a feature. Try harder. Let's let's let's. Uh, we should mention this isn't a feature just yet. So this is a new version coming soon to Photoshop CC. If you are a Creative Cloud subscriber, which has gone up in price recently, but um, yeah, if you are a subscriber, this will be coming soon. There we go. So mm. anyway, Content Aware. Yep, isn't it wonderful? Tough Tracker. Go All on, right, tell the, me about this. The John. Olympus Tough TG Tracker Action Camera Drink. Action camera, yeah, definitely. Is it immersive? It's only one it's drink. It's not, no. no okay. 
Although I think there is an immersive action camera I saw, which we'll talk about on the next episode. Yeah, well, we don't have enough to talk drunk. about that. Yeah. Anyway, it's an action camera, so who cares, Chris? It's it's a GoPro a wannabe. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually find this to be a little bit different and unique, so it's worth worth consideration. An action camera which is unique. John, do yes. talk about this. It's great. Look, first of all, it's not the traditional size. It's a little bit larger. It's basically a couple of iPhone 4Ss smooshed together, if you want to imagine that in terms of a size. Yeah, it's it's a, a little bit of a unique form factor. It's definitely bigger than a GoPro. Um, however, because it's a bit bigger, it provides a few interesting features that GoPro perhaps doesn't provide. The first one being some uh, stabilization. In fact, it's five-axis stabilization. And we've got to mention this is by Olympus, who have a very good track record with their stabilization mm. technology. Yep. Other features, it's got an LED headlight. So uh, it's like those video lights you see on top of ENG cameras carry around by the news crew, but uh, it's built into the camera. It's a single LED um, <laughs> LED light, mate. It's yeah, not the same well, as having a big softbox. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So it's identical, <laughs> What are you I telling thought? the people out there? <laughs> so, it, yeah, LED headlight. Um, built-in Wi-Fi, so GoPro's got that. Yep. That's Most people have got built-in Wi-Fi these days. One thing that many of the other cameras do not have is enhanced GPS. Uh, so that? I'm not sure what the enhanced bit does. No, I'm familiar with the sister GPS, which uses mobile phone towers to help triangulate the GPS coordinates before it gets a lock on the satellites. But uh, this has enhanced GPS. Uh, look, it's got GPS. That's different. And it's also got an e-compass. I'm not sure. I guess that's electronic compass. Yeah, it's, it's got a compass. compass on a chip. Yep. So you know which direction you're, you're shooting, I, I suppose. It's got a temperature sensor. You can tell how hot it is. So when you're doing your awesome skydive from very high up, you can say it's very cold. And when you get down, it's, it's quite warm. Uh, it's got an accelerometer. That's good for speed. For, yes. And it's, so, so basically acceleration, this, yeah. this allows you to be on your bike and actually keep a track of exactly how fast you're going and what you were doing at the time. And if you were stopping when you were using your brakes, when you yeah. were accelerating, what rates you were stopping and starting at. That's, when you did the backflip. Yeah. When you did the, all of the good stuff. And if it got a bit dark, you, the LED headlight might <laughs> come on. might help illuminate where you're going. Uh, 90 degree tilt out LCD monitor. That's, uh, okay, that's interesting. Weird. Yeah, look. For a... Uh, Action cam. It takes me back to, I, I won this when I was working in retail many years ago. Toshiba put out this horrible, horrible camera, which was $800 and I won it. So I was very happy until I used the camera and realized how shit it was. It was basically, a, it was one of those early hard drive cameras that had 20 gig hard drive in it. And it was a form factor of something similar to this and it had a little pop-out screen. And it was noisy as shit. So that was a piece of rubbish. This looks a little bit better. Um, it has the pop-out screen. It's basically for framing. It's like the little LCD backpacks, I, I suppose, you can get for a GoPro. You're not going to So, just to rely a tiny little screen. Much. Yeah, yep. it's, it's basically, I, yep, I am pointing at what I think I am pointing at. Um, I can confirm that based on yep. the screen. The lens worries me a little on this. It's a bit um, wide angle for my liking. It's very wide angle, 204 degrees, extreme angle, according to the to the PR statement. Mm. F2, so reasonably quick on the lens for one of these sort of cameras. But then again, they have such a tiny sensor, it's pretty easy to create a, a fast lens for them. Um, barometric pressure sensor, <laughs> interesting little feature. Yeah, so if not? you are uh, rock climbing, I suppose, or if you want to check the weather, if there's a storm front coming in. Yeah. Um, but look, look, it's got a bunch of stuff in it and it's 350 bucks, which I think is actually pretty cool. Like, if I didn't need the small form factor of the GoPro, this is something I'd definitely look at because it's got a lot in there for that money. I think its biggest features is the five-axis stabilization. So, you actually got rotate. And the LED well headlight. As, <laughs> no, it's piss off the LED headlight. Get a real light. Um, yeah. But the, yeah, I think that that's, um, stabilization, especially being by Olympus, and that's the other thing, it's made by Olympus. So, mm. they're the two things that for me make it go, okay, well, this is the kind of thing you can throw around, get a fairly smooth image off, and, and it would look quite clean out of the, the box. Yeah. The downs and, and all the metadata that it gets, you know, all of the, the accelerometer stuff and things, I think it's a nice touch. Yeah. Whether you'd actually use it in your production, I don't know. For production, not so much. But, but if you're actual, uh, if you're a real sports yeah, person, and you're doing a show which is sports content, yeah, skiing or yeah. car driving or motorsport or anything, yeah, this is a good little looking unit. Mm. I just hope that 204 degree lens is not too wide because that is well, ridiculous. Look, the, the thing about this is I'm, I'm reasonably positive on this product, but if you have a look at the the footage that Olympus has posted on the page. 
it's kind of shit. <laughs> like, it's not that great a quality. It's I don't think GoPro's video quality is all that great, and it looks worse than that, which is really saying something. So, look, I'm hoping that they've just compressed it really poorly and that it's just shown up poorly on YouTube, which would make sense because the style of footage that you shoot with an action camera is not going to ever work well on YouTube because they compress the shit out of it. But it doesn't look like a slick PR video. In fact, when I first saw it, I thought it was just some guy who'd got had access done to a review. Yeah. And then you looked I, at it and it was like Olympus officially. Yeah. Like, and it was oh. like, yeah, it was a bit worrying. So yeah. anyway, look, hopefully that's just early stuff with bad compression on YouTube's end. Um, from their page, they say it's ultra HD 4K enough said. Well, look, when they post that sort of shitty footage, I'm not sure that is enough said. I think you need to back that up with, what's the old saying? Quality pixels mm, um, not rather quantity. than quantity. So anyway, look, it's an interesting camera. Um, we'll see how it goes in the market. Yep. No, looking forward to it. So, so moving on to our uh, main discussion. Oh, uh, are we in, actually going to talk about this today? Why not? Go on. In order, we won't talk about it for too long. In order of our big 1-0, uh, Chris, as I said earlier, has bought himself a new toy, and that is the Sony PXW FS5. So, Chris, why did you buy this camera? Okay. Uh, let me let me put it out there at the moment. There's, the camera market is a very confusing place as a... Um, you know, it, you might be a user who's uh, been shooting with a DSLR or has been shooting on previous um, cameras that might be HD and a few years old. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's like the, an HVR uh, Z5, like for a example. Z5 or a Z7 or a, like something like one of the the Panasonic HVX 101s. You know, something that's that's a little bit old. That's maybe um, that was teetering on the early memory card cameras. Yeah. Um, and look, the early HD cameras were okay, but they were just a little bit. Uh, crippled by the codec, if anything moved super quick, it would get a little bit blocky, and and you know the just the noise in low light and the the depth of field with the the sort of uh, built in yeah, so you have uh, a one third inch sensor or maybe a half inch sensor if you're lucky. Yeah, if you were using these these sort of uh, you know these corporate sort of style cameras, and then mm. on the high end of of DSLRs, <laughs> you you hit things like your you know your five D is the classic, mm. um, but even if you're looking at something like a five fifty D, like you know a, a Canon, uh, like uh, APS-C, no, what's the, APS-C. it is APS-C sensor on yep. the Canon, or a Nikon a uh, DX uh, lens system, like a Nikon D7100 that I mm. that I had. I mean, they're great cameras and, um, you know, you chuck a prime on them and, and or even a zoom lens and you get some great pictures out of them. But the HD component, uh, like video, I mean, photo-wise, they're beautiful, but mm. they just, they line skip. So line yeah. skipping in a camera is where... <laughs> You know, you you have your image, and what it's doing is it's actually reading every fourth line or every fifth line of, of the oh, pixels the in order to quickly and have enough speed to be able to do it twenty five times, thirty times a second to be able to create a video. And the reason you do this is otherwise you'd have a crop factor on the on you'd the have video. a like huge crop factor, huge which crop means factor. you'd be pinging out the center of the frame. Yeah. Now, a lot of the cameras do actually combine the pixels left to right. So as they're reading left to right, they'll be combining those pixels. But top down, I mean, they're, because the sensors in a DSLR are actually designed to be much higher res, mm. the irony of the situation is that when you shoot video, you actually you get, get a lot lower, lower res. res. So an and, 18 megapixel sensor becomes a one megapixel sensor. Yeah. And the problem is, is that any detail that's vertically got a lot of de- like stripes or something like that on it, is going to struggle because there might not be a line that's there to pick up. You know, it's it's skipping lines, so you're, mm. you're missing a line of it. So what you do is you put what's called a pass filter on it, which, you know, blurs the image a little bit, um, and that has its own sort of issues inherent with doing that. You're faced with a point at some point, all right, well, when do I buy a new camera? And it's always when do I, and it doesn't matter what you're buying, this is to do with any piece of, this is any camera ever. When should I buy the next model? When's it going to not be upgraded to something new where suddenly, you know, next year, oh, HDR comes out and then we're screwed Mm. because it's a new standard, which arguably is sort of slowly (laughs) happening, but we we don't know what's happening. Um, So I went in to buy an X150, um, no, Z150. I call it the X150 all the time. I don't know why. The Z150, which is basically, that was the logical step to what I'd had previously. Which was the HVR Z5. So, and, and look, this is a great example of a camera that looks great on paper. And a lot of products, when you go out there, they look really good on paper. And you go, okay, well, wow, it's even cheaper than the previous models were. So, you know, that, so my Z5 that I'd got, for instance, and the PD-170 and the 150 before that, which is going back a few years now, mm. uh, 10, 
15 years. Oh, is it that long? Wow. So, yeah, I mean, and all these cameras have the same kind of form factor. And the way they were designed was that they were bigger than your average, uh, you know, palm sort of consumer camera by a fair shot. Mm. But they were smaller than a shoulder broadcast camera. And... You know, built into it has everything in the camera that you need to get away with shooting most things. You have an iris control, certainly on the later editions. Yeah, the an three, iris control, three ring lenses. Three ring lenses, which is your yeah. iris control, your focus control, and your zoom control. Mm-hmm. So you can easily crash zoom and, and, you know, frame up a shot and get it in focus quickly. And if your exposure changes, you know, you've got fingers on the lens, instantly can change those three things. Yeah. And you've got your other hand, it's basically holding onto the camera to stabilize it. Um, they were never over the shoulder. So the argument was that, you know, you always had to hold them and support them, but you could sort of wedge them into your body and be quite comfortable with shooting. And you could get uh, brackets if you really were desperate. to. Get but them. most people just adapted, like yeah. myself. We grabbed those cameras and we just went and ran with it because, you know, they're all they around the $6,000 mark, $7,000 mark. And it wasn't really anything that we could afford that was cheap, that was shoulder mount, that had the no, same image. No, you're looking at $30,000 at the 30, time. 40 grand, yeah. and even still today. Um, and... Yeah, so, you know, I went to buy the Z150 based on the fact that it looked fantastic on paper. It looked amazing on paper. Um, it had, you know, a a lens that was, you know, new optics with the, the new glass that was supposed to be super sharp. It had, um, you know, a 4K sensor that was supposed to be a nice sensor in it with a, you know, big dynamic range and, and all the proper audio inputs. And it was basically what I had already but 4K. Mm. And I was like, well, this is great because all I really need is what I've got already, just sharper. Yep. And then I picked it up. And this is a weird thing. You know, you can pick up a camera sometimes and you just know it's not the right camera for you. And um, I just wasn't feeling it, you know, and and I was shooting around and I was framing things up and it just didn't feel right. It's interesting, Chris, because I've been reading some reviews and they're all saying this is amazing what Sony's been able to pack into it. So what do you feel didn't didn't do it for you? Well, I think the form factor, it Mm. wasn't quite long enough and where my um, the it was smaller than my um, my Z five, which was itself a little bit smaller than my PD one seventy, and everything was just getting smaller and smaller, and it just was the point where everything was a bit cramped when I picked it up and used it, and it didn't wedge and sit comfortably, and the screen was just bang in my face, and I just felt it. If I was, I felt like I needed to expand it and sort of maybe you know put some kind of bracket system on it. And um, I don't know. But other than that, I just I just couldn't get any depth of field out of shots with pushing in. I felt it yeah. had less ability than my old camera that I'd, I've had the camera before that. It just wasn't getting the shot. I just couldn't get it. Look, to cut a long story short, the guy at the store handed me the FS5 and said, look, I mean, it's going to be a very different experience to something. Is this something more like what you'd like to be shooting with? Mm. And bastard, I will call him a bastard, passed me a $11,000 camera. Lovely gentleman, Jonathan, yes. <laughs> not, <laughs> not myself, someone else. You know, he's great. I really, I, I dig him. Um, and Jonathan, yeah, passed me the camera and, and I used it and I was like, this camera is freaking awesome. Like, yeah. wow. And I was just excited again and life was just like, this is great. I could just shoot live through this camera and... and now, be, now how, Chris, how excited were you uh, when you realised it cost more than twice as much as well, that was <laughs> the previous it. camera? I was like, oh, I can't afford this camera. And a funny thing happened. I started um, talking to a few people who, I was, um, <clears throat> who are in the industry who shoot things and um, saying that I was, I was looking at this camera. They're like, oh, yeah, we've got some stuff coming up we really want to, you know, get a, a particular look for and, we, you know, we want to shoot it flat and things and blah, blah. And, uh, yeah, oh, if you're going to get one of those, <clears> like, we might be able to hire it off you. But, and it just kind of i don't know i got something convinced me that i should maybe just take Spring a leap for it. yeah so i'm not buying a new uh, well i was never going to buy a new car i was going to buy a replacement secondhand car for my car that's sometimes breaks down quite a lot um sometimes. so now the car has to hold on and yeah. uh and i've done that thing called life doesn't matter if you've got a good camera slash walking which which is why we're on the purple fringe i mean we, you know we we prioritize buying cameras over pretty much everything yeah Cool. Maybe not your marriage, but everything. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm yes. single. I don't give a shit. Yep. So, yeah. Hello, uh, Joe. Um, so, the five, the 5S is just like, it was just, I, I held it and went, God, I need this camera. It is, is what I want. Love at first sight. It was literally love at first sight. And look, looking at it, I mean, you just hold it and what the, the okay, look, it's, it's got variable ND. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that does... Okay, variable ND for, for people. When you have ND filters is is you hit a point where you've got your settings and everything's too bright and you need to put a pair of sunglasses. Sunglasses for your camera. Sunglasses for your camera. So yeah. you flip them on I like this. I so old for saying that now. Actually, this one doesn't make much sound. Let me grab a camera <laughs> that actually makes sound. Seeing I've got a stockpile of cameras. Stand by, audience, while Chris grabs an one of his old many, camera yeah. to demonstrate the ND sound. You can hear that. So that's me flicking various pairs of sunglasses. They're a lot the looser camera. on the old camera. You hear they, the wobble. Yeah, it does. The new one's really like clean sounding. It doesn't yeah. make any sound at all. So, but the problem is, is that your your brightness instantly drops to like one sixteenth, one eighth, and you have to reconfigure all your settings in the camera to counteract the fact that you just wanted to. You know, a little lose, bit darker. Go a little bit darker. This new camera is—it's a Sony first, has variable ND, which means it will actually vary the amount of of ND. You just dial up one setting and go, okay, auto ND, and it goes zoom and just brings it down to the perfect level. Mm-hmm. And cool. it—you can assign it to a single button, just um, just nudge my ND, bang, done. And it's just—it's revolutionary. Okay. <laughs> it's cool. It's so yeah. damn cool. Um, and. I've had to use ND shooting in this room. Yeah. So we are in a room right now, it's which is dark. really dark. It is like... Well, it's got black walls. It's got is. black walls because we're in my studio. Felt walls that don't reflect at all. And it's got LED up lighting, which, you know... A little bit of bounce off the ceiling. A little bit of bounce, no direct lighting at all. It's really dark. Six years ago, you would not have... In fact, even my old camera that I was shooting, you would not be able to shoot in here at all. It'll be too... Noise. Too dark. Like, you'd need to dial up the gain huge. And the FS5 just, like, you chuck a prime on it and it just effortlessly shoots well, in the there, dark. Well, there's an, another reason to begin with the very phrase, I can chuck a prime on it. You couldn't chuck a prime on the uh, Z5, could you? No. And so. this is, I mean, the kind of thing, that, and it's not spoken about much, is that uh, I know that the Canon APS-C lenses, um, they tend to vignette when you put them on a Sony Super uh, 35 a little bit, or they're on the edge because the sensor's a bit smaller. But the Nikon DX system, which is if I you just shoot fire... with EF, so I'm not sure. Yes. So, I oh know. <laughs> hey. Uh, but if you shoot with Nikon DX, it turns out that because the sensor's bigger um, than the Canon uh, sort of entry ever level so sensor. Ever so slightly, yep. Ever so slightly. I don't know if it why, but it just seems to make a little bit of a difference. It's a 1.5 crop factor versus 1.6, so yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But I've I've every lens I've put on this, I took a chance and bought a Nikon uh, adapter for it. And I've put all my old glass on it from my um, my old DX and all the lenses work fantastically. Well, Chris, as I talk to you now, I'm just thinking we've got an EF uh, to E-mount adapter at work and it's a speed doubler. And we've also got a Canon 51.2. So I want to put a 1.2 speed doubled on that and see what you get because that could be freaking awesome. It would be extremely shallow. And the yes. first thing you notice with video, especially when you're shooting at like F1.4 or F... Oh, I want to shoot at F... 0. 0.8 point. or whatever that's going to give us. Yeah. So, look, I don't know. You're in a realm where you've suddenly got all these things like, you know, depth of field, super low light shooting. And at the end of the day, the biggest thing I've realized is that you've still got to light a shot. You've still got to frame your shot. You've still got to get it looking good. And mm. you've still got to, you know, put in all the effort you always have. It hasn't changed anything with shoot. It's just, it's a lower <clears throat> noise shoot. It's super sharp because it shoots 4K and... Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a joy to use as a camera. So the FS5, I highly recommend as a Look, as a unit. I think to sum up, it, it kind of gives you many of the advantages of an SLR, but it also gives you the advantages of the form factor of a, a traditional sort of running gun corporate camera. Some drawbacks there, but it's a very nice meld of the two worlds. So you get that sexy look, but with the ergonomics and the weight that um, you've come to expect from that style of camera. Um now, just for people who aren't too familiar with the camera, I'm just looking at it now. It is very small. It's surprisingly small. It's much smaller than, than you'd expect if you're going out and spending 8000 Australian on a body. Um, it, it's a Super 35 sensor, so it is larger than many of those uh, more traditional corporate cameras that Chris has been shooting with, which these days are moving towards the one-inch sensor, but traditionally have been much smaller than that. They've been a third-inch sort of size sensors. So you are getting that shallow depth of field plus the ability to change lenses, so you can stick a fast prime on there. So it is a different sort of beast. You are paying for that, but it does seem to be this nice sort of middle ground. 
Now, the one thing Sony have done is crippled it a little bit with putting um, firmware on it that kind of uh, limits the ability to what you can do. Uh, When I say that, I say that because they've released upgrade packs for it, in inverted commas, which seems to be a thing that Sony are doing these days. Sony started doing, which is bloody annoying. Um, So you can actually shoot 12-bit 4K DCI super cinema style, you know, output, which has got more room to move than your kitchen sink. For $700 to enable the output and then you need to buy a recorder to tack onto the output and then you would end up spending like $3,000 extra. But it's three only well only <coughs> three, only three grand extra, which yeah. compared to you know eleven grand for the camera with a the adapter and a proper seven. lens. Yeah, so you know that is one thing with it that's a little bit kind of like raise the eyebrows, like you, and it does things as well. Like it records four channels of audio consistently, but only two of those ever have Actually audio do in anything. Them. Yeah, but it has but the ability to change the microphone routing is in. Uh, in software, software. Yep. so that makes me think okay they're going to release another handle that has another set of outputs on it mm. so that you know you maybe, maybe have a three, use their, a three sorry three input handle or something like that so Chris I've got 10 quick questions for you you've got uh, 30 seconds or less to answer each of these questions right, let's, uh, let's uh, get going right. we'll put it in the sound of a beep now and question one, uh, what does it come with and what did you get on top of that in terms of a case, memory, power, lens, etc.? Okay, it doesn't come with much. It's just the, well, it does. It comes with the camera body. It comes with the handle system goes on top and the viewfinder system. Um, I bought the lens, uh, the, the, the recommended um, 4K lens. And I also bought a Nikon adapter, um, a 128 gig memory card, two 64 gig memory cards. I did get a couple of other things too. Filters. Oh, excellent. All right. So next question. Uh, what else do you intend to get with it? And your time starts now. Uh, I probably want to potentially upgrade the lens system to there's a cine sort of version of the zoom, which has just got a little bit better uh, resolve on the image, but it's not as wide on the wide end. I'm thinking of maybe getting a super wide, like a, a 10 to uh, 20 kind of mil sort of range zoom, just for a bit of fun for doing super wide. Mm. Be nice. Oh, well, that was in 20 seconds. Okay. Uh, why didn't you get this camera earlier? It was because released it a little while ago. It wasn't released really in Australia. Oh, you okay. It was hard to ship and get. Um, also, I was uh, I didn't have the work necessarily lined up for it. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm just in a point where I know I've got work coming in in the future. So, it's like, well, let's do it. So, uh, with the slow-mo, this shoots up to 240 frames per second in slow-mo. Have you tried it and what does it look like? I have tried the slow-mo. It looks very sharp and very clean slow-mo. It's certainly the cleanest slow-mo I've had experience with outside of using one of those big phantom cameras that is not affordable. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, it's really nice. It's 240, but it's not consistent. So, oh, you, have, you have to buffer it and then you have to This is the, the S- S&Q Sony. But, but that's okay because you get quite a lot. You get more than you think, to be honest. Yeah, I, you I would at yeah. 240 frames a second, so, I would yeah, expect so that. You, you see something cool that's great and you go, yeah, I like that. And then you hit the button and <clears> it saves it and... You've got your slow motion shot, and I think it's it's good because it means you kind of you vet your slow motion as you go. Cool. All right. What are the ergonomics like? Yeah, good. It's got a um, well, it's very modular, so you've got a handle system on it that you sort of just grab onto. I love the handle. Um, the handle is fantastic, and it's also you can change the way it angles and the way it um, it sits in your hand, depending if you're shooting over your head or in front or whatever. It's got joystick systems, multiple custom buttons just on the handle alone. I mean, it's. You know, that's just the handle. And then the rest of it, I just find it fits very, sits very easily on my hand. You'll see I've got a, um, uh, actually, it's a, a Manfrotto tripod mount on it, but it actually extends to the front of the camera a bit, so I can rest my hand on that and get a nice secondary pivot point. Okay, 30 and, seconds up. Yeah, All right, moving on. So, <laughs> what are the screen and EVF like? The EVF's quite clear. It's pretty sharp. Um, Do you sc- use it, though, Chris? Because I know you're a screen guy. Uh, I, I have used it a little bit. It's mm. it's good in the sun. Um the EVF is actually sharp. It's it seems to be it's OLED. It seems to be quite bright. I haven't had that much of an issue outside. Is there much lag? Uh, there's no lag at all. Oh, seems I don't think nice. there's any lag. I've Excellent. noticed any lag. Cool. All right. Uh, how's the autofocus? I've never used it. I have no idea. Okay, moving on. Uh, what is the picture quality like in 4K versus HD? <laughs> so I should I should have used the autofocus. I did hit full auto once, and it it set up a shot and just held it. I was like, oh, that looks all right. Yeah. And then I turned it. Does off it have again. a full auto button like many of the other Sony's? It does. All right, it does. full auto button. The uh, fuck it, nothing's working. Let's and push it, this button. It button. has a hold switch so that if you have people like media like trying to, or as if let's just say you're shooting a current affair story and you're someone you don't want to have them grab your camera and fuck things up, you can just mm. flip the hold button and. It 
it actually means it doesn't matter what you touch or fiddle with on the camera. It's <laughs> Don't gonna... touch my shit button. All yeah. Right. So so the hold hold switch is is I've never seen that actually on it. Yeah. I just thought it was cool. Okay. Now you haven't used it that much yet, but do you have any indication on the battery life? I've used so far. Well, let's start with the battery type. It's a BP. Yeah, it's a BP series. You. But this one doesn't pollute the ocean. This is a U60. <laughs> nice. Um, the, it's currently saying 50% battery, and I've used this for all my testing and on three interviews that went for about half an hour each, and I haven't even thought about putting the second battery on it yet. Cool. And I'm halfway through my first battery. Excellent. It's, it's really good. <laughs> Let's reset the clock. Uh, what do you think could be better about the camera? I think there is a mode called Active Stabilizer, which I've got on my RX10, which I've had on other cameras like the NX10. <coughs> and the, uh, Most NX30. Sony cameras, yeah. A lot, um, it does have a stabilizer and it's very good. It's on par with other cameras that I've used that are Sony, but it has this active mode that does not light up ever. Yeah. And it only ever lights up the active steady shot if you put one particular lens on it by Sony. Right. And it's not a 4K uh, lens. But apparently if you get it, it's super, super like stabilized and you can get away <laughs> with absolute murder. Yep, I've seen that lens. I'm pretty sure we have uh, several of those lenses, and I'm not convinced it's a great lens, but it might be good for stabilisation on that particular camera. You've got the video version of it. I think yep. the photography version of it is a higher resolve right. as far as the optics quality and its coatings, and mm. I'm tempted to take a risk for, geez, expensive 1400 bucks. Mm. Oh, just wander out and we'll try this one at least. Yeah, we might give that a shot. I, I, but I really want to try the active steady shot to see. Like, I mean, stabilized stuff is really floaty. I mean, yep. We'll talk about stabilizers in another show in the future. That can be bad sometimes, but, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it can also be really good when you're at, say, a corporate and you just need to get cutaway shots and you're shooting at the end of, a, at the end of the lens mm. and it's been 12 hours of shooting and you're shaky and tired. Sometimes I find the framing can be a bit tricky because it floats to the absolute edge and then you try and reframe and then it jumps all over the place. But that's that's another story so for yeah, another time. Look, I, I think it's yeah, I think it's it's mostly good. But that's that's the main thing I think that that I I, I don't like to have options grayed out on cameras which are not grayed out on ones with fixed lenses. Yes. All right. Uh, anything else about the camera, Chris? Before we finish up. Not really. I mean, it's. I'm still learning really uh, the way to go. I think one of the things that's important on this camera is that you, uh, because it in 4K mode, it does shoot 8-bit, not 10-bit or 12-bit. Yep. Or you can shoot 12-bit uh, 4K. If you out, pay the monies. If you pay the monies. But if it's important to sort of think about grading in camera. Yes, you can do S-Log3 and it's fantastic in the HD mode if you want to grade it externally. But you the can, Z150 cannot do. You can be so smart about just getting it close enough in camera. You've got full histogram control. Like, you know, you can see what's going with your shot. Graded in camera, set up your picture profiles. Do one that curves off the sky. Do one that crushes your blacks. Do one that lifts your blacks. Does it have a real-time waveform? It has uh, not waveform, but it has a histogram. Okay, cool. Right. But, I mean, yeah. Hmm. It gives you enough information to be able to figure out what's going on. You can make change the size of it and things like that. The one thing that I haven't tried yet that I'm super excited about and that I want to actually try with is, is um, we can talk about this maybe at some point if we talk about future technologies, but it does streaming out of the camera. And yeah, I like so it's got a network jack on the back of it. It has a network jack, but it also has, um, uh, as far as I know, Wi-Fi, yes. and it can connect to your phone, and it can stream from the camera. So you can have somebody sitting somewhere where you're filming for them, and you're shooting for them, and they're watching your shoot as you shoot. Mm. So <laughs> good to get clients out of your face. So yeah, well, no, this is a great thing. Like I was talking about this today, actually, with a, a production with an agency, and we were saying, well, you know, they're saying, oh, it was too much of an effort to go to this place and shoot. And I was like, and I was like, well, is the problem your time or is it paying for my time? And they're like, oh, it's just hard to get the people from us to to go and go. So well, why don't you just send me out there? I can set my phone up to push. My yeah, stream it, stream it and yeah. you can sit and just watch here and then, you know, we'll set up a talkback system and you can talk to the, you know, the person on set or me in my ear with a little earpiece, mm. you know. Mm, and that's, cool. I like the idea of being able to stream straight out of your camera so that they can see what you're seeing and never have to be on set. They just do it remotely. I think nice. there, there's been rumors of a talkback system too that allows them to actually 
like a, a, a an app like that actually installs on the camera that allows them to be able to talk back. Well, look, if there's anything the industry needs more, it's uh, a, a better talkback system because yeah. talkback systems suck. And, and less clients on set. Suck. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. And if they cannot but imagine that, you know, group of people, uh, like let's just say it's a video on environmentalist science or something like that, and every day you're going to different places, getting interviews with different people about something, and you've got your calendar locked in, and they've got meetings set up at a corporation, you know, where they're... they're that's one example, where, and they could sit and watch interviews. Another one would be, what if you're shooting a wedding for someone? And mm. you can say, I'm shooting a wedding, but I'll stream it to your mm. family and friends at the same time as shooting Well, if you can do it wirelessly, you can kind of do that now if you're prepared to run a bunch of SDI and not move the cameras too much. But if you could do it wirelessly running gun, that'd be fantastic. All right. Look, I'm sure, Chris, we'll chat about it uh, in the future and we'll also do some video stuff, which will stick up online for our listeners to watch. Uh, but uh, just to finish up the show, if you want to get in contact with us, please uh, tweet us on the Twitter at TPF show and uh, ask any questions you might have or give us any feedback. Um, otherwise, if you want to check out the show notes, you can visit thepurplefringe.com and you'll see all the show notes there. Um, but before we finish up entirely, we do have a beer here, Chris. We had a beer here. I'd almost forgotten about it because it was so good, I drank it all. Yeah, I drank all mine too. <laughs> yeah, this is really good. This is the Endeavor Vintage Beer Co., which turns out is three blokes who wanted to make beer. Uh, they went and hit up their mates and got some funding and they gave it a go, as they say on the website, to produce some beer. And this is this is bloody nice. I enjoy this. This is the Grower's Pale Ale. So it's quite a fruity drink, uh, but not too fruity. It's the right amount of fruit. Um, it, it, it's really pleasant. I, I found this really easy going, but not not in a, um, a bland, generic sort of way. I, I found it quite enjoyable. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly didn't have a huge amount of rich body or anything like that. Mm. Um, I would almost go as far as say, I know this sounds bad, but watery in a good way. Mm. Yeah, look, it's a 1.2, so it's not particularly alcoholic. It, it's just a, yeah, it's it's not too simplified. It, it's an easy drinking, some, not complex, but it's got a little bit of character to it. Mm. Oh, yeah. absolutely, and really, really nice flavour. Yeah, look, I, I, I really enjoyed like this, this beer. Look, there's three people in the office that have drank this beer tonight, and everyone thought it was pretty good. So I yeah. think that's a big thumbs up for the Endeavour Vintage Beer Growers Pale Ale. Yeah, and nice, a nice design label as well. They've yeah, actually done um, embossed print on. I oh know, so what you call it, reflective print mm, on the on the logo there. Yeah, and it's embossed. Yeah, nice, very nice. All right, Chris, uh, thank you very much for another episode. I hope you enjoy your anniversary toy for the big one zero, mm -hmm. and uh, we'll be in contact with you listeners again soon. Well, it's all about getting out there and shooting, so I hope you guys have good times with your cameras and whatever you're doing, and uh, we'll see you next time. Next time. Thanks, Chris. Down the road. 